This is day 114 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Psalms chapters 88 through 92. Lord Heavenly Father, you are the God of our salvation. You are the one who has mercy and grace and power. Majesty is in your hand. Beauty is what we desire. And you are the most beautiful of all. May we see you as you truly are, Lord. You have given us a capacity to by regenerating us, by allowing the Holy Spirit to change us into a new creature. That we are no longer slaves to the things of this world, but that we may be free in you. Be free in the name of Jesus. Please help us to express that freedom by giving it to you, glorifying you and being obedient to your call. As we read your word today, Lord, please press it upon our hearts, what we must do to change and to repent. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths, your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Silah. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Selah. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness, in your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, Loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. 
I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Salah. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord, a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains. You have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in visions to your godly ones, and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established, and my arm will also strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the sons of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him, and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea, and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving-kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, 
I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. Selah. But you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You also turn back the edge of his sword and have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is. For what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples, with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footstep of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and Amen. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain seventy years, or, if due to strength, eighty years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom.
Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindnesses, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us, and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. With the ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. That when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who did iniquity flourished. It was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. 
but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil, and my eye has looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. It seems today that we move from a very dark, depressing place to a lighter, more pleasant place today. Because we started with Psalm 88 today, and it was very depressing. And it left it, at the end of it, it left it still in sadness, which is uncommon for the Psalms that we've read. Because it usually starts in a sad place, but then it ends with understanding who God is and feeling better about it. But this one was very different because it was probably the saddest psalm of the whole book of Psalms. You just see all the different things that are happening to this man and the things that are threatening his life, and he's just concerned about what's happening to him. And he just feels so lost. He feels like God has pushed all this down upon him and it has no deliverance. This was written by the sons of Korah, but more specifically it mentions that this was written by Haman the Ezraite, who was the leader of the sons of Korah. They they were a choral guild, meaning that they had a choir. They were a group of men who sang in a choir, and he was their leader. So apparently he's not having a good day. He's having so many things go on in his life that are bringing him down. And it mentions Sheol many times, which, if you need a reminder, Sheol is the grave. Sheol is what we would consider just going down into death. Because in verse 11, it mentions Abaddon. Abaddon is different because that's more what hell was called in the Old Testament. So Abaddon is, you can equate it with hell. So that's why he makes the comment, Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave in Sheol and your faithfulness in hell? Well, the answer is no, right? Yeah, so it seems like his life was coming near to an end because of all the different imagery that he gives. You have made me an object of loathing to my friends. I am shut up. I cannot go out. I have called upon you every day. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Because he's dying, right? I've cried out to you for help. Will your wonders be made known in this darkness? Well, this is another psalm that also illustrates something very important, that the dead cannot praise God. So there's that thought that, especially like in the Catholic Church, where you go to purgatory, you're dead in purgatory. You've already died. The dead cannot praise you. So how is there such a thing as purgatory if the dead cannot praise you? What is there to be purified from if I cannot praise you in my death? 
So it really contradicts the whole concept. Then we move to Psalm 89. And Psalm 89 was written by a man named Ethan, who was also an Ezraite. So an Ezraite, again, is the same guild of the choir of the nation of Judah. So this is another psalm where, in my commentary, it's stating that it was likely not Ethan himself, because Ethan was mentioned in the time of David. And some of the stuff that is described here that actually did happen to Jerusalem didn't happen until much later. So again, like we talked about with the previous one, this is either prophecy or it's someone who is later on in the lineage who is using the name of Ethan or perhaps shares the same name as Ethan. So we don't know. It's kind of hard to tell whether or not this is the Ethan who did it, or if it is someone who is just using his name, his ancestral name, as being the leader of this choir guild. Now, Psalm 89 is a long one, but it's got some really interesting stuff in here. This is considered another royal psalm, which is not only praising the line of David, but is also showing a lot of stuff that God is saying himself. The Holy Spirit is speaking quite a bit here as to his faithfulness to the line of David, as well as the ultimate end of the line of David, which is going to be, obviously, Jesus Christ. So a lot of this is going to get fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, because he is of the line of David, and he will be king forever and ever. And he already is king forever and ever, and he is of the line of David. So... That is a fulfillment done here. So he starts off with the proper posture of heart, which is to praise the Lord. That's how it should always be, especially when we are praying as well. We don't just start with our petitions. We do not start off with all of our requests and our selfishness. But ultimately, we should recognize with whom we are dealing with. We are dealing with the Lord God. So the first thing that should come out of our heart and mouth is praise and admiration and recognition to him for what he is and what he has done. And then we can begin to start. Think about when Jesus did the Lord's Prayer, right? So he didn't start off with saying, give us our daily bread. He started off by saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So talking about making sure God's agenda is first, recognizing who he is and his sovereign majesty, and then recognizing that he is guiding everything the way that he wants, and let his will be done, not ours, but his will be done. And then also give us some bread. Make sure that you're taking care of our needs. But ultimately, that is the posture of heart we should definitely be starting with every day. What does God want? Who is God? Does my mouth praise him? And what is his will for me? Then we can begin to make our petitions, which he will answer one way or another, if they are aligning with his will. He will not respond and will not tolerate selfish, greedy, sinful prayers. So 
Be very careful what you bring to his throne. Because who are we praying to? Read verse 6 through 8. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones. What holy ones is he talking about here? Most likely he's talking about angels, right? He is greatly feared in the counsel of his angels. And awesome above all those who are around him. Quite literally, in the heavenly realms, all the angels are around him. O Lord God of hosts. What does that mean if he's the Lord God of hosts? The more basic translation of hosts would be armies, which in this case we know that he is the Lord of angel armies. That's what this means. The Lord God of hosts is, he is the God of angel armies. So they ask the question, Lord God, who is like you? Your faithfulness also surrounds you, and then it shows his sovereign will, and also how you have crushed Rahab. What is Rahab? This is not the first time we've seen this. We actually saw it back in Psalm 87 as well, but the term Rahab used in this section of Scripture is referring to Egypt. When they were enslaved in Egypt. And so this is a not a term of endearment, but it's actually like a term of cursing. Frankly, I don't know the exact translation of what the word Rahab means, but it's something that is speaking negatively against Egypt. And so that's what it's talking about here is you crushed them like one who is slain. You crushed them like a dead person. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. So we see Ethan here praising God for his attributes and everything that he has done, especially in creation, as we can see here, beginning in verse 10. The heavens are yours, the earth is yours, the world, all it contains. You founded them to the north and the south. You created them, the wonders of his mountains, so on and so forth. A lot of anthropomorphic language, because again, he's a spirit, he doesn't have a body, so he doesn't have arms, he doesn't have wings, he doesn't have hands. This is just all language to symbolize and help illustrate what God does. Then we start seeing in verse 20, in my Bible, it's a little more easy to spot because it gives me quotation marks every time it goes from the psalmist himself, to the Holy Spirit taking over at this point. You see, I have found David my servant. Obviously, David is not Ethan's servant, so this is God speaking at this point. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. So that son of wickedness is likely evildoers in general, but it is likely Satan. Because it says in verse 23, I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. So obviously all he's going to protect David from all his evildoers. He wrote a lot of psalms that he was always under attack. But we see God pull him through him every single time. 
Then God starts talking about all the setting up the scene for the Messiah. And then when you get to the ultimate statement in verse 29, where it says, I will establish his descendants forever, and that is through Jesus, and his throne as the days of heaven. Obviously, man is not eternal, so it has to be someone greater than man. In this case, it is Jesus. And this is also something very interesting as well, and we have to understand this aspect of our relationship with the Lord. What it says in verse 30, If his sons forsake my laws and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments. Obviously, we know the law of Moses up to this point because we read this far. If we do not obey the Lord, bad things happen, right? There will be consequences of our actions. But how does he respond? It says that he will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, as in like with whippings, like getting whipped in the back. Those are what stripes are. So it's not that he is going to destroy you, because you see that language with the ones that are unrighteous, you see that they're utterly destroyed. They'll perish. Very strong, destructive, ending language. But we're not getting this same language for us. Because we fit into these verses. We are his sons and daughters. Right? Because it says that we become heirs. And we become, become children of God in the New Testament. When we are saved. So what does it say that God does to us as his children? He disciplines us. He doesn't punish us to the point like he does with unrighteous people. But he does punish us so that we learn from our mistakes and that we correct them and we become more sanctified. We become more holy through the process. Progressive holiness. Progressive sanctification. So God is not going to just wipe us out. He will punish us with the rod, just like we should punish our kids when they do something wrong. But he loves us. He won't do it to the extreme with us. We will need to learn the lesson, and it will not always be pleasant. But God knows what he's doing, and we have to trust him in the process. And I love how he throws this word in here, but, in verse 33. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. So we can definitely say that for us. God's not going to change his mind. He's not going to be like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of you. Get out of my sight. You're gone forever. Or you know what? You are so bad. I'm just going to send you to hell. I'm sorry. You were my son. You said you were saved by my grace, but my grace for you has ended. Therefore, down you go. He will never do that. He's promised that he will never let us go. And he will not, on his end of the bargain, he will not change his mind. He will not fail to follow through with his promise. What he has declared, he will do. I wish we could be as faithful as that, right? But we're not. But that is the goal, to be as faithful as that. So even though punishment will follow disobedience, his covenant with David and his covenant with us 
will never be violated by him. Amen and amen, right? That's the God that we serve, a God who makes all his promises come true and always seeking our best interest. And it's amazing how he can give us our best interest and yet also glorify himself at the same time. I love how he does that. And this psalm ended what is called book three in, of the Psalter. So then now we're going into book four, which these psalms, except for obviously Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible, most of these are pretty short. And we start with Psalm 90, which is a psalm of Moses. So if you didn't think Moses had any psalms, here we go. He has a psalm right here. And so he starts off with understanding who God is, that he is eternal. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You gave birth to the earth and the world. You were there before everything. Then he goes into how powerful he is and how we are not. Because he talks about how you, you turn man into dust because we're absolutely nothing to you. A thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it passes by. We are not completely capable of grasping eternity when something is eternal. Because it's hard to imagine God existing before everything was created. Like, what was he doing? And why did he create us from the very beginning? How did he get there? You know, we have those very hard questions that I don't think we can answer. But we have to trust that God is who he says he is. And when we get to heaven, we can ask him. That's why he uses this illustration that a thousand years is like nothing to you, God. It's like yesterday to you. A watch in the night. Just something that was a very short period of time for us. But yet, a thousand years is nothing to you. That's because he invented time. And so time doesn't affect God. He's not affected by time because he's outside of it and above it. And then it just shows how frail man is. You swept us away like a flood. We fall asleep. We're like the grass. You see that illustration all the time about humans that we're like grass. They sprout up for a while, look real nice, but then eventually they die. And it happens very quickly. And then we get into a point where Moses is showing us how short our life really is. All of our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. <sighs> you know, just that sense of burden and that need to work constantly. And as you get older, your body starts shutting down, doesn't work like it used to. So all of that stuff, we feel it as we get older. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. If reason of strength, maybe 80. And, and that for that time period, that was very true. If you lived to be 70, 80 years old, you were old. You made it to be a ripe old age in those days. And this is coming from the man who was 120 years old when he died and had the vigor of a young man when he died. So he was an exception, but at this time, that old age 
was between 70 to 80. Not like it was prior, like with Abraham and before, where you could live hundreds of years before you finally died. But the aging process surely increased by the time Moses was alive. So here's the most important thing. Do we understand God? Verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Do we really understand who God is and our dynamic with him? Do we fully embrace who he is on a daily basis? And that should be our pursuit all of our days, isn't it? It should be our pursuit to find out who God is. Because we don't know him like we should. None of us do. The the process is to seek him out. And he will reveal himself to us if we seek him out with a full heart. Because ultimately, we will end up in verse 12. Teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. How can we present him a heart of wisdom if we are not wise? And there's a whole section of scripture in the Proverbs we're going to get to soon that talk about wisdom. Ultimately, let me give you the spoiler alert. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing God. So how can we reach the end of our lives and present God a heart of wisdom if we don't even know who God is and we haven't even tried to find out? That's the challenge. That is the problem presented in front of us today. I'm fairly young still, and I don't always contemplate my mortality. I know maybe that's just me. But I'm not at that point in my life where I'm contemplating my mortality. So sometimes it feels like my life will go on forever, it seems. But I need to learn this lesson in verse 12. Verse 12 is teaching an important lesson to me. I need to number my days because my days are limited. That's why we need to take advantage of every opportunity we have because we don't know when our life will end. Could end today. Could end tomorrow. Could end a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. We don't know. But ultimately, we will die. And we don't know when that will be. Either we will die or the Lord will return. But there is an expiration date on this body. There will be a time where this body will give up. And we will join the Lord forever. And God has called us to multiple times throughout Scripture. What are you doing with your life right now? And what you're doing in this present life does matter. And it does matter for all of eternity. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's an eternal place. And yet we're storing those things up now in the finite for the infinite. There's something to that we have to keep in mind. Verse 14 is special to me. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. We definitely need to understand that God is satisfactory. 
And we need to start our day with that. Satisfy us in the morning. Start our day with waking up and us realizing that we are blessed to be here today. We are blessed to have you as a God and that you care about us. There's a Christian group named Shane and Shane, and they wrote a song about this, and it's gorgeous. I highly recommend you look it up on YouTube. And again, this is a challenge also to share this with the next generation. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants, which would be us, and your majesty to their children. Not only bestow favor upon the lineage of your people, but also give it to us so that we can teach it to them. Confirm the work of our hands. Bless the work of our hands. Show us what it is that we need to be doing with ourselves. And then we jump into Psalm 91, which does not say who wrote it, but the way that the writing is seems like it's part two of Psalm 90. So my gut instinct tells me that this is also Moses, simply because of the way he uses his words. His sentence structure is very similar to Moses. So it might be the same, it may not, but Either way, has very good stuff to say. So he starts off with how God is our security, right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, refuge, fortress, you see that language of protection, his safety. We show how God takes care of us, shows the blessings of his security, which are obviously his love and protection in us. And this is also the scripture where Jesus, when he's confronting Satan in the wilderness, this is where Satan uses the scripture from. Because even Satan quotes scripture. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, and they will bear you up in their hands. So you'll see there's a difference here. There's a line that Satan did not use when he was talking to Jesus. He did not say, to guard you in all your ways. So we have to be we have to understand this about Satan. Satan is very smart. And demons know the Bible. They know what the scripture says. And so often we see them trying to twist the scripture to say something else. It's like what Jesus says in John chapter 3 verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So there's some ways that you can interpret this, and God, and Jesus meant it in a very particular way. But, for example, like the Catholics, they got hung up on the idea that, okay, so you need water and you need Spirit. So Satan put that idea in their head that, okay, so you need the Holy Spirit, and you need to be baptized. Baptizing is absolutely important for your salvation. And that's why you have baby infant baptism in the Catholic Church. Even though it says elsewhere that everyone is accountable for their own salvation. So, you know, that God is very clear about what he's saying. But Satan loves to twist the scripture in such a way that benefits him. It sounds legitimate, but it is not. Here's another good one, and this still grosses me out when I talk about it. Very recently, the governor of California put up a billboard 
supporting abortion. And he quoted Jesus from it. He put on there the part two of what Jesus was saying when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Because what, what did he say? First one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he used that section of love your neighbor as yourself as a justification for abortion. And you see how Satan does that? That's not what Jesus meant by what he said. But yet that's what Satan likes to put in there in order to trick people into thinking, well, Jesus said it's okay to abort babies, and who are we to question that? Even Jesus said that. So we have to be very careful with not underestimating our enemy. He knows the Bible. He knows us, how human beings are. They use it to their advantage all the time. And we have to be very careful to know what the Bible actually says. If not, we will be led astray. We have the ultimate goal as to love the Lord. And Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's how we demonstrate our love to God. But what happens if we do demonstrate our love to God? Well, he answers it for us right here. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Man, isn't that so good what he does for us if we respond to him in obedience? And then finally we have Psalm 92, which this is a psalm that the Jewish people tend to use on the Sabbath day. This is something that they sing when they are celebrating the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And it goes on and on as to recognize God for who he is and just praise him for the blessings he gives us, but not only that, but also the judgment that he has on the wicked. And ultimately, at the end, again, it goes back to how he blesses his own people. Very similar language to other things that we have seen to illustrate the, the kind of blessings that we get from God. So definitely take a look at that. I, I know I've already gone a little over what I wanted to, so I'm going to go ahead and stop it right here for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.